The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Dow futures pointing to a higher open after the Fed signals no change to monetary policy anytime soon. Facebook shares under pressure after the company warns of a significant growth slowdown. The Senate voting to push ahead with a bipartisan infrastructure plan. Disney, Apple, Twitter, and Facebook among the companies making moves on masks, vaccines, and office closures amid a resurgence in COVID. And Robinhood is going public today, valued at $32 billion after pricing at the low end of its expected range. It is Thursday, July 29th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here is how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures indicating the Dow will open higher by just around 127 points. The S&P implied higher by roughly six points and the Nasdaq lower by just around 10. On the Treasury side of things, interest rates are on the move. We are seeing a slight tick lower in benchmark U.S. Treasury notes on the 10-year note side of things. Just about 1.26 percent the last trade there. On the two-year Treasury note, just about 21 basis points, or 0.21%. Now, a lot of corporate news this morning. Let's get right out to Bertha Coombs with some of the big headlines. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Dom. Robin Hood set to begin trading on the NASDAQ today, but maybe some signs of softness in the IPO market. The stock trading app pricing its IPO at $38 a share. That's at the low end of the expected $38 to $42 range. The company raising close to $2 billion in its offering, however. Co-founders Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bhatt each sold about $50 million worth of stock. Shares of Facebook under pressure this morning, as Dom mentioned, the social media giant beating the street on both the top and the bottom lines in the latest quarter. But the company is warning investors that revenue growth is expected to slow significantly in this current quarter. We'll talk to an analyst who covers Facebook in just a bit. And check out Uber this morning. That stock dropping on a report that SoftBank is selling about a third of its stake in the ride-hailing company. Our dear Drabozo reports SoftBank is planning to sell 45 million shares in part to cover losses on its investment in DD. It's part of the problem when you're part of this, this big fund. They've got to cover somehow. There's always Tom? some interesting dynamic at play with regard to big investors and big companies like this, Bertha Coombs. Thank you very much for that. We'll see you later on. It's been a very busy morning so far for earnings reports due out of Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with the names that we need to know about. Good morning, Juliana. 
Tom, it's great to see you. So as you said, a big earnings day here in Europe, an earnings extravaganza. Putting it all together, European equities are trading higher. The stock 600 extending gains. Here's a look for you at the region. As you can see, the majority of regions are trading higher. But let's dive into some of the individual stocks because that is what it's all about today. Starting with Credit Suisse, shares down 3.4%. The bank reported a near 80% decline in second quarter net profit after investment bank revenues fell over 40 percent year on year. Now, the bank also outlined an additional pre-tax loss of $653 million relating to Arcagos, saying an internal investigation found failures to effectively manage risk at the investment bank's prime services business. Turning to Airbus, another one in focus, shares in this stock. Uh, 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 this stock is actually a 3.8 percent higher. Airbus posted a 30 percent rise in first half revenue driven by higher demand for commercial aircraft. The world's largest plane maker updated its full year guidance now expecting to deliver 600 jets by the end of 2021. So investors cheering that report. And then finally, AstraZeneca shares are up about 0.3%. The drug maker has updated its 2021 guidance, including sales now from its recently acquired Alexion unit. The drug maker also revealed its COVID vaccine sales tripled in the second quarter, but did negatively impact earnings slightly. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana Tattlebaum live in London with the latest there on earnings. Thank you very much. To a developing story out of Washington, D.C., the Senate voting to advance the bipartisan infrastructure bill. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So it's not a done deal, not even close, but things are now moving forward after weeks of negotiations on what President Biden calls the roads and bridges bill. This is the traditional infrastructure deal that would fix roads and bridges and improve transit and provide high speed Internet for everyone. Democrats and Republicans have been negotiating this uh, half billion dollar deal behind the scenes, half trillion dollars, I should say, uh, behind the scenes, trying to figure out how to get this moving forward. And now a preliminary vote will open debate so that they can move forward on this. 17 Republicans joining Democrats uh, to open debate on spending money on roads, bridges, broadband, the electrical grid. Lawmakers say they'll work into the weekend to try to pass this, but the House would still need to sign off on this deal. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer saying that they've come together in a bipartisan way to try to get this done, but there is still a long way to go. And remember, this is separate from the more than three uh, trillion dollar effort that Democrats alone are trying to pass that deals with uh, what they like to call human infrastructure. Some of the other Democratic priorities and priorities of the president aside from the traditional roads and bridges bill that they're calling it now. Um, but the bottom line, this is a big step forward and we could see more action on it this weekend. So, so, so Tracy, I mean, we know that the three and a half trillion dollar plan on human capital is now separate. They're going to try to go it alone on that on that front here. What exactly then does yeah. need to happen? I mean, what's the next step here? We, we, do we open debate on this? I, I mean, how many amendments do we see? What exactly are the steps that we could expect to kind of witness in the coming days and weeks here? Sure. So they're open. So the vote was to open debate. Uh, and again, Democrats and, and a significant number of Republicans agreeing on that. Uh, so we could see amendments to this, although behind the scenes they have have worked out what is a general framework 
for how this will happen. And so the expectation is that at least in the Senate, it will move forward in the democratically controlled House. We could see a completely uh, different process. What, what exactly is the likelihood that we see a, a, a very different type of infrastructure bill than the one that we are looking at perhaps right now after all of the negotiations are done? Probably more likely that it won't happen at all, given the fact that uh, the leadership has been negotiating behind the scenes. So probably not very different. It is certainly possible uh, that we could see some tweaks. Um, one of the big issues here has been, of course, the pay for. This is $550 billion in new spending. Uh, and they seem to have come to some general agreements about that. But we could certainly see some changes. A vastly different bill after this much negotiation um, would be somewhat unusual. All right opening steps here for sure. Tracy Potts live in Washington. Thank you very much. Back to the markets now, which had a mixed session yesterday after the Fed decided to keep its current interest rate policy in place following a two-day policy meeting. The Fed reiterating the path of economic recovery will depend, of course, on the virus pandemic. Investors had been hoping for clarity on when the Fed will start tapering its bond purchases, but Chair Jay Powell says the Fed continues to just study the topic. Given you what what I can give you, because again this this was the first really I would say deep dive on, on the issues of uh, of timing, pace, and composition, and uh, it was a good meeting. And um, but no decisions are made, and, and I'm just not in a position to to give you much guidance, really any guidance on the actual timing. I, but I will say we we're making progress. We expect further progress, and we expect that if, if things. Go, go well, then we will we will reach that goal. All right, let's bring in Ben Emmons, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Ben, he's not in a position to tell us when these things are going to start happening. Maybe not surprising there. What exactly should markets take out of the commentary from Fed Chair Jay Powell, given that the, we know that the virus pandemic is the biggest variable in the economic path to recovery? Good morning, Dom. I do think that markets took from this a certainty that this tapering will happen. As you say, we're making progress. We're going to get there. These are words of sort of, let's you know, say, a sequence or transition to that ultimate goal. Obviously, they're debating it. They're debating about how fast to do it, debating, of course, when. And they're also debating a bit about, you know, the impact that it could have, particularly on the economy. As you say, the, the Delta variant is here. It's going to impact the economy if it isn't already. And so to time that is, is not an easy thing. I think what Marcus really then took from this is like, we don't really have to deal with too much Fed policy uncertainty at this point. And I think this is why in the, in the session, what you saw yesterday was a bit of a revival of, of, uh, of the markets. In addition, that yield stayed relatively stable with the only thing that real yields are declining, which is just still a reflection of high inflation, but a strong economy. So markets, I think, are pretty comfortable at this moment with where the Fed is taking this. So, so comfort is a word that I've heard a lot from traders and investors over the course of the past few weeks here with regard to the current levels that we're at. It's, it's not so much this idea that the variant, the Delta variant, is going to take the economy or markets down, but there's no real catalyst to get things moving to the upside for sure right now. We thought earnings season was going to be that catalyst. What exactly is the path of least resistance for the markets right now? Is it still to the upside? I think it's still to the upside, Dom, because you know, think about it. We, we're in an economy that's still growing close to about 8% real GDP. We're going to get the GDP data out uh, later today. And if you're in that kind of economy, 
you, know, you, you cannot have really a deceleration of earnings so fast that that would then take down the stock market. So we're sitting here at the upside. It feels like record highs, but the projection on a lot of the earnings going forward remains strong based on that GDP number in itself. Then I think we're in an environment where, you know, we have a bit of a rotation going on between small and, and large cap. That's probably the somewhat defensive posture. But we also still have the reopening that's not really being disrupted. We could have some slowdown around it because of the variant, but we are very accustomed now to it. As Powell, Chair Powell said yesterday, the, the impact of the next wave will be incrementally less than the previous wave. So I think the market sits pretty here, probably has more upside from here. From a strategic standpoint, one of the biggest concerns over the last several months now has been this notion that inflation could be the real thing that takes down this market. Interest rates would have to climb to kind of clamp things down a little bit. Is it fair to say right now that given commodity price movements over the past few weeks, that this inflation narrative has really become somewhat transitory as the Fed has been has been advocating for quite some time now? I think the market is on that same notion that we deal with transitory inflation because if you do reopen, you have shift in prices, as Powell said himself, but you don't have this acceleration, you know, month of the month of the month so much that then you do deal with, with inflation that's going to show up in expectations and those expectations become too elevated and then the Fed has to react to it. So we're not there at all. We're actually more about we reopened the economy. We're going to have to let it settle out so the market I think very much understands that this is just a phase of, of the economy where you deal with suddenly somewhat high inflation. So all along, the, the, the inflation-linked bond market has already said, like, you're going to go decelerate over the course of the next year in inflation. I think that's what the stock market believes. All right. Ben Emmons at Medley Global, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, more of this morning's big money movers, including why shares of Ford are racing higher. But first, as we hit the break... Check out Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies right now. You can see their prices just a hair above 40000 for Bitcoin on Coinmetrics. Ethereum, Ethereum prices, $2,300 $2, right now. Litecoin, $139.83. Stay tuned. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, Ford. The automaker reporting a surprise second quarter profit while sales rose nearly 40%, beating analyst forecasts. Ford says strong demand for its vehicles allowed it to forego discounting them. 
It sees supply issues with chips improving. The company's raising its guidance for the full year, but does, no, does note some headwinds, including rising commodity prices and $1.5 billion in costs related to its ongoing shift to electric vehicles or EVs. Next up, Qualcomm. Second quarter profits more than doubled and revenue topped analyst estimates as well. The company predicting a rise in sales of chips for 5G-enabled phones and connected devices. The CEO saying efforts to secure chips from multiple manufacturing partners is making progress in boosting supplies. Those shares up nearly 3% in the pre-market. And finally, PayPal. Shares are falling this morning as the company's downbeat profit outlook is outweighing its second quarter results, which were better than expected. PayPal's third quarter revenue guidance is also below estimates as it continues to be hit by former parent eBay, which is shifting away from PayPal's platform to its own payment service. Those shares down 5% PayPal in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, a promising sign of New York City's resurgence. Here's a hint. Summer tourists. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Today's big number, $654 billion. That's the estimated annual market of global energy storage by 2050, according to Bernstein. Battery demand is expected to grow at 12% per year, with passenger vehicles the largest source of demand. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. An 8.2 magnitude earthquake triggered tsunami warnings this morning off the coast of the Alaska Peninsula. The quake struck about 50 miles south of Perryville, a small town of about 100 people. An expert told NBC News there could be damage and injuries from an earthquake of this magnitude, but the biggest threat is the potential tsunami risk. An American gold medal contender is out of the Olympic Games due to a positive COVID test. The two-time reigning world pole vault champion Sam Kendricks will not represent the United States in Tokyo. Officials say he is now in isolation. The track and field events are scheduled to begin today. Meanwhile, Team USA has been dominant in the pool. American Caleb Dressel won gold in the 100-meter freestyle race, and he set a new Olympic record in the process. The swimmer has three other gold medals that he won in relay events, but this is his first individual gold. So, Dom, as of right now, we are one gold medal behind China as far as that goes. But the overall medal count, uh, the U.S. is still leading. It's so, it just looks so fun. I mean, the amazing amount of, of work that goes into some of these performances, especially in the swimming pool, I, I'm just so amazed. Yeah, and and it's, uh, it does wonders uh, for your physique as well, from uh, what I can tell. From what I can see as well, too. <laughs> Philip, thank you very much. We'll see you later. Right. Now to some of this morning's top trending stories, including New York hotel rates, more details on that secretive Wu-Tang album sale, and National Wing Day. Bertha Coombs is back with those trending stories. Good morning, Bertha. 
Hey, good morning, Dom. New York City hotels just saw their busiest week since the start of the pandemic. Mayor Bill de Blasio announcing that during the week of July 12th, hotels in the city sold 17,000 more room nights than the previous week. The occupancy rate in June, though, was still down 90 percent from the summers of 2018 and 2019. And the buyer of Martin Shkreli's Wu-Tang Klang album is saying that he will reveal himself after all. That, according to a statement from his lawyer to CNBC, the U.S. government sold the album, which is also considered a work of art, to cover the $7.4 million forfeiture that Shkreli was ordered to pay three years ago. And it's National Chicken Wing Day. Despite the tight supply of uh, chicken right now, restaurant chains across the country are still looking to celebrate the day with deals and offers. Buffalo Wild Wings is offering a buy one, get one deal on boneless wings. And Frank's Red Hot Sauce is hosting chicken wing trivia on Twitter with chicken related prices and Wingstop, which has its new virtual thigh stop venture, has also rebranded the holiday as Thigh Stop Thigh Day, offering two free thighs with any purchase. The CEO telling Jim Cramer last night that he thinks this uh, chicken shortage and wing shortage could ease sometime next year. But personally, Thighs are my favorite part of the chicken. I think that's the juiciest part. They are going after thighs, Dom, as part of their whole bird strategy. Uh, so, so, so I was just going to ask you if you're a chicken wing person. So it sounds like you do indulge in, in, in some chicken every once in a while. My question is this. Are, are you a, 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 a challenge eater, one that goes for these food challenges? I only say this because in my younger days... I used to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and I did the Blazin Challenge, which is their, you know, Ugh. eat a dozen wing, a dozen of the hottest wings they have in under, I think it was six minutes at the time without drinking anything. And, and you get a free T-shirt by the time it's done. Yeah, no, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> the other day I was at a friend's house and I was like, yeah, I don't like it too spicy. I, a little spice, but uh, not too much. Some like it hot. I like it hot. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those trending stories. We appreciate <laughs> it. We'll see you later on. Coming up on the show, a live report from Beijing, where China's securities regulators trying to figure out and reassure banks about everything going on there, foreign banks as well, and calm investors about recent crackdowns in the country. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast app. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Good morning. Facebook shares under pressure. After the company warns of a significant growth slowdown, we will talk to a well-followed tech analyst about all things Facebook. Robinhood is going public today, valued at $32 billion after pricing at the low end of its expected IPO range. And China taking steps to reassure investors after a recent string of regulatory crackdowns. We will head live to Beijing for the latest there. It is Thursday, July 29, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. Stock futures are relatively mixed right now. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 120 points. The S&P by just about five to six points. And the Nasdaq implied lower 
by just around 11 points. So a mixed market overall at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Treasury yields are also moving slightly. You see a slight tick lower in benchmark U.S. 10-year note yields. Actually, they're now ticking higher, 1.26% the last trade there. Two-year benchmark Treasury note yields are just a hair below 22 basis points or 0.22%. In overseas markets news, Hong Kong's Hang Seng jumping about 3% to close out as stocks there bounce back from a big drop earlier in the week. China securities regulators are making comments trying to reassure investors worried about recent government crackdowns. Eunice Yoon joins us now with that story and the reaction as well. Eunice, just how much is the government taking market volatility seriously? They are taking it seriously, Dom. Uh, The securities regulator held private talks with some of the biggest uh, foreign banks that have licenses here. That includes uh, UBS, uh, Credit Suisse, Goldman, as well as J.P. Morgan, among others. And essentially, the vice chairman of the China Securities Regulatory Commission told them that they need not, quote, overinterpret uh, the regulatory actions that they've seen recently, that China would allow listings in the U.S., even through the uh, legally unclear structure um, known as the variable entity um, VIE or the variable um, interest um, entity, which is an offshore entity that allows Chinese companies to list overseas um, by kind of skirting some of the regulations here. As long as Chinese companies complied with the regulations, sources also told CNBC that he added future policies would be introduced with caution to avoid market volatility. Now, this meeting comes as state media has been ramping up its efforts to try to calm down investors here in China. Uh, Some of the state-run reports and and, uh, media outlets, such as the news agency Xinhua, says the stresses stress that the regulations support China's long-term development. The Communist Party's uh, Securities Times said that the stock market tumble is due to a, quote, misinterpretation of the policy. And also the Securities Daily Today, which is a paper that's linked to the CSRC said that stocks are now close to the bottom and it's encouraging Chinese people to buy. And this comes, uh, Dom, as the Chinese central bank also uh, made a move of its own, injecting cash of $4.6 billion into the market uh, just to try to calm again the uh, markets down and ease the concerns of investors. So, so Eunice, how, how thin and how tight of a line do, do regulators and the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party overall, how, how, how thin of a line do they have to walk with this? Because when you have state-run or state-linked newspapers saying that there's a misinterpretation of what's happening right now, the, the, the Communist Party still has to assert its authority over the tech giants there, much like we're doing here in the United States, yet they have to calm the markets about volatility. What exactly do they have to then do to make the messaging clearer for those people and investors out there, especially in places like Hong Kong and mainland China? Yeah, well, Dom, you know, I thought that the most important line that came out of that meeting was that the Chinese companies still have to comply with all the regulations. So they can list overseas, they can use a VIE, as long as the Chinese companies go through the cyber reviews jump through all the regulatory hoops. So there are a lot of different ways in which uh, the Chinese government can have control. So I think that the bottom line message here is that 
that China's trying to, the message that China is trying to send is that we're not going to completely crush the private industry, but we want to make sure that we have a very a tight rein on a lot of private business. Uh, it's certainly a big messaging point for sure for the Chinese Communist Party right now. Yunus Yun, live in Beijing with the latest there. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now to some of the big corporate headlines here in the United States. Bertha Coombs is back with those big headlines. Bertha. Dom, a number of companies taking steps on masks and vaccines following the recent rise in COVID cases. Starting tomorrow, Disney's domestic theme parks will require all park goers to wear masks indoors, regardless of vaccination status. A similar story out of Apple, our Josh Lipton, reporting that starting today, the tech giant will require both vaccinated and unvaccinated customers and staff members to wear masks in many of its U.S. retail stores. And Twitter is closing its San Francisco and New York offices, effective immediately amid the surge in COVID Delta variant cases. The social media company only reopened offices in both cities about two weeks ago. Meantime, Google is now delaying its return to office plans until October. And both Google and Facebook say they will require U.S. workers to be vaccinated against COVID before returning to the office. This is going to be the big debate here going into the fall. Dom, do you require vaccines? Do you require proof of vaccines or testing? And do you bring people back? It's not just a, it's not just a debate. It's a, a huge variable for sure to watch in the fall. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Earnings week continues as Facebook beats analyst expectations for its second quarter results. But the company is warning of a significant slowdown in revenue growth. And the stock is under pressure as a result. Those shares down roughly three and a half percent pre-market right now. Joining me now is Wedbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research, Dan Ives. He covers the company extensively and others as well. Dan, let's talk about the takeaway from Facebook here. The stock is near record highs. There's a revenue slowdown possibly ahead. Just how fearful should investors be? It's only about three and a half percent right now. That's how much they they put into this revenue slowdown narrative. Yeah, it's a massive rebound that you're seeing in digital advertising. You know, we've seen that with Google as well. And it is Facebook's strongest quarter since 2016. Look, but I think it all comes down to what's happened with Apple on the iOS in terms of data privacy. There's really a Game of Thrones battle between Apple and Facebook. And I think that's really what investors are worried about. You know, could there be you know, some more headwinds on the horizon? I think it's a contain risk at this point, but that continues to sort of be bit of an overhang on Facebook, which ultimately they fan the flames a bit by sort of calling that out a bit more than expected. Do you feel, Dan, so, so, so for I, the iPhone users out there, and I'll admit I am one of them, you know, whenever you open apps sometimes now, it asks you whether or not you want to contribute data, whether or not you want to, to allow app tracking, that sort of thing. And I got to imagine a lot of people are saying, you know what, this is my opportunity. No, I don't want to allow that tracking feature to happen. Is is that going to be a permanent, almost like a secular headwind in terms of revenue growth for these companies if these phone companies and, and operating systems keep on giving customers the option of saying, no, don't let them track me? Well, and ultimately, that's why it speaks as such an issue between almost, you know, Cook and Zuckerberg and just Apple and Facebook, because Apple controls the kingdom of iPhone users called one point you know, 5 billion overall users of iOS. And and that really, that's the gut punch to the overall business model of Facebook in terms of digital advertising targeting. And I think investors have viewed it as a contained risk. 
But as we go forward, it is giving consumers that opportunity. And at the end of the day, that really is a headwind for digital advertising, which is the core DNA of Facebook. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway from last night is that investors feel like this is not going away and definitely called it out a little more. But ultimately, if you look at Cook and Cupertino, they're going to continue to double down on data privacy going forward. So it, Facebook is, is, the, is in the headlines today, 3.5% declines because of a possible revenue slowdown ahead. What else can we expect to see? I mean, they're not the only company that, that depends on digital advertising as a revenue stream. Who else stands to really be hit by this? And should this ripple effect have, have wider-ranging implications for some of these other social media-type companies or anybody dependent on, 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 on Internet advertising? Yeah, I mean, the jury's still out in terms of how this ultimately plays out. I think if you go back when the iOS update initially came out, social media, of course, Google, Snap and others, Facebook really front and center, that's been the worry. Now, they've shook it off. You, you've really seen almost the Goldilocks tech earnings season so far. But around the corner for social media, there's worries because as Apple, remember, in future iOS updates, they're going to continue to really double down this data privacy, and it puts – Apple on the other side with social media companies. And that's why it really becomes more and more of a battle that goes at the core business model. And that's the broader worry, as well as regulatory scrutiny that you're seeing both in the Beltway as well as Brussels. All right. Speaking of a company that's making inroads in digital advertising as well as customer data, let's look at Amazon.com. That company is set to release its results after the closing bell today. What exactly do you expect to hear or see from today's report on Amazon, another company that has done so well in the midst of the virus pandemic? Yeah, and I think with the strong continue to get stronger. And that's really the theme that we've seen over tech earnings season. I almost call it a gold medal performance from the likes of Apple, Microsoft, and others. I think the big focus is Jazzy obviously taking over for Bezos. But big focus on AWS in terms of cloud. I mean, we're talking about a trillion-dollar market opportunity over the next decade. Is Amazon losing share to Microsoft? Look at those Azure numbers, you know, or they start to see a reacceleration. And then, of course, the e-commerce play. I mean, it, it, you know, it's no secret in terms of Prime as well as even just the COVID impact. They continue to, to really monetize in an unparalleled way. But I think a big focus, Tom, is going to be AWS growth cloud because, remember, that's a big part of this cloud arms race. And, and, Dan, before we let you go, do you have a call on Amazon right now, a recommendation? Yeah, I mean, look, we continue to view, you know, obviously Amazon's strong name, but for a cloud play, we'd rather own Microsoft here because I think they're net gaining share over Amazon. All right. Dan Ives at Wedbush, thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. Thanks. Coming up on the show, Robinhood has changed the investment game for many individuals. But will investors buy into the company itself? We'll talk about the future of the, the stock trading app on its IPO day today. All that coming up on Worldwide Exchange is back after this commercial break. Welcome back. Trading app Robinhood is set to trade today on the NASDAQ under the symbol H-O-O-D. Robinhood, Hood, get it? The company priced its shares at $38 a piece. That's at the low end of its pricing range. It values the company at $32 billion. Today's IPO is unique because Robinhood allocated 20 to 35% of the shares to its own customers through its app at the offering price. A unique model. 
Joining us for a look at what this all means for Robinhood and the future of retail trading is Carl Rossner, the former CEO of E-Trade and now CEO of Lefteris Acquisition Corp. Carl, thank you so much for being here. I, I guess maybe the takeaway for me is that free trading is worth a lot of money. <laughs> so it would seem. Um, look, they, they're a bold and ambitious company. I think they've done amazing things for the retail trader, uh, both just in terms of access, availability, you know, an excellent app that's easy to use, great UI, UX. Um, they've always been bold and ambitious, and they continue to show that through their IPO and the allocation processes you just, you just mentioned, right? Very unusual to have that heavy a load going to the retail investor and also allowing, you know, employees to sell a certain number of shares, you know, a certain percentage now and a certain percentage a little bit down the road. You know, very unusual not to be locked up. So it, it, it's a, a very bold IPO. So you mentioned, Carl, the, 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 the user interface and the user experience, the UI UX of this particular company here. It's also not come without controversy. There, there, there's been allegations of a gamification of investing, this idea that it's become like an online casino. How does Robinhood kind of get beyond that and that kind of image, I guess, with a lot of investors out there, that there's only a certain type of folk out there that are customers of a company like Robinhood? So I, I think that's exactly right, Don. One, one of the dangerous things here is, is obviously gamification. And I think it, it gets back to, you know, how do you educate the new retail customer about the risks of trading, right? How do you get away from that, you know, confetti approach to, yay, you just made your first trade, to this is how this trade fits into your overall financial picture, right? Do you have a, a savings account? Do you have money socked away for, you know, that rainy day or that unexpected expense that's going to come down the road. If you are trading your dollars and those are the only dollars you have, you have to understand you could lose all of that as well, right? So yes, gamification, I think is, you know, it tends to be an issue when you talk about that just for the first time trader. I think gamification can be a powerful tool if you're using it to educate the retail trader and giving them a chance to understand what they're doing before they jump into the pool with both feet. So, so Carl, there, there's also been some anecdotal and even fairly significant evidence to suggest that a lot of the growth in Robinhood over the course of the last, call it 18 months or so, was driven around stimulus check timing. We, we've seen accounts funded around those times that stimulus checks went out. How exactly then does Robinhood kind of go into this, this online brokerage world without possibly having some of those stimulus checks in play anymore? Do you think that it's just because of that assistance that many of those accounts were open in the first place over the last year? So I think the, the global pandemic and, and the stimulus checks that were issued and also just the cash that was sitting on the sidelines, right? As people didn't go out to restaurants, people didn't otherwise spend money on, you know, on goods or services that they would because they were locked down, right? Trading became that, that, outreach that the, the ability to go out and, and do something in the marketplace for yourself. So I do think that had a large impact. One of the great stories here for Robinhood is, you know, Dom, you're exactly right. They have, according to filings and what they've been saying, over 20 million customers have opened accounts on their platform. That's a huge customer base, but the account sizes are very small. Can they continue to drive that growth? But the bigger question for me is if you have these 20 million customers on your platform, can you continue to monetize that in the right way? Can you provide those individuals with additional financial services that can really help them over time? So that, that's the key to me is can, can they unlock the value and can they provide the services for these customers that they've brought in? 
to keep them investing as the stimulus checks you know dry up and as the the heat around the meme stocks and all of the you know the I guess the the advertising and whatnot goes away. How do you continue to drive that customer base forward and provide them with more value? So, so, so you bring up an excellent point here, and it gets to, to my next question, Carl. For many brokerages, the, the real value, at least a large chunk of the value for these companies in the past and, and even presently right now, is the company Rolodex. Your former company, E-Trade, was purchased by Morgan Stanley. Um, for for a large reason, a large reason behind that was was to get access to those customers, right? Because you want to keep those in the ecosystem. You want to kind of cross sell those products to other people. What exactly then does Robinhood have to do to grow that thirty two billion dollar market value into say sixty four? If those customer accounts right now are not quite as large and not quite as valuable, how do they become more valuable? How much more in terms of services do they have to consume? before they become that much more richer in terms of customer value? Well, a- absolutely the key, right? It is, is gaining additional share of wallet from those consumers and customers. And the big question mark, if you go back to you know, what we just spoke about, how do you know that those individual customers are going to continue to spend on the platform, going to continue to invest? They have to broaden their service offering to cover more, right? There are questions around business model. There are questions around what happens with payment for order flow, Right. So how do you provide those other financial services and those other tools that help individuals deal with their finances on a regular, you know, on a regular basis from day to day? So a savings account, a checking account, right? teach them about different ways to start to diversify, get into investing, offer additional asset classes, offer some professional advice down the road. It's the building block that they have. They've been such an amazing customer acquisition tool. The way that they've been able to drive eyes to their platform has been absolutely stunning, right? But now the key is unlock that additional value and show the consumer that you're more just more than just a click in a trade, that you can actually help them manage their finances go forward. That to me is the key. I mean, if you look at what Schwab has done over the years, the way that they've built out their platform now, you know, unrivaled, they can afford to give away trading services for free. And quite honestly, they don't need payment for order flow. Right? Sure. They have a, an amazing business model they built over time because they give the consumer so much value for what they park there. Of course. So the next evolution from customer acquisition to customer monetization. Carl Rossner, thank you very much. We appreciate it. It's going to be a big day for Robinhood investors as well. Thank On deck know. for the show, a flood of corporate earnings, comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, and an uptick in COVID cases. No shortage of things for investors to figure out right now. We'll talk about what really matters for the markets and investors and get ready for the trading day ahead. And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. We will be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stock futures right now are indicating what could be a mixed open Right now, the Dow implied higher by roughly 150 points, we'll call it, the S&P by roughly 9, 10 points, and the Nasdaq lower by just about one full point. As investors brace for what is likely to be the busiest day of earnings season, the likes of Amazon, Comcast, the parent company of this network, Yum! Brands, Merck, MasterCard, more, all reporting today. This just one day after the Fed said it will hold the course on its current interest rate policy and continue to weigh slowing asset purchases at future meetings. Chairman Jay Powell, however, highlighting in his post-decision comments the risk of the Delta COVID variant on the U.S. economic recovery. 
What we've seen, though, is with successive waves of, uh, of COVID over the past year and some months now, there has tended to be less economic, less in the way of economic implications from each wave. And we will see whether that is the case with the Delta variety, but it's, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a, uh, not an unreasonable expectation. Joining me now is Oppenheimer Asset Management Managing Director and Chief Investment Strategist, John Stolfus. John, you heard Jay Powell's comments. How worried should investors be about the Delta variant? Is it enough to derail the current market and economic recovery? Uh, Dom, I don't think it is enough to uh, derail the, uh, the economic uh, recovery that's in process or enough to derail the equity uh, market's trajectory higher. I do think that it could bring some volatility naturally. On any given day, you could see a catalyst that could provide uh, some uh, near-term opportunity to take some profits off the table for nervous investors, bears, and skeptics. But uh, for intermediate-term investors, we think this is uh, an opportunity to hold the course, steady on the course. So steady on the course means that you should just either be invested fully right now or keep committing capital to the markets what exactly then does an investor do with markets at or near record highs that still want to be somewhat in your camp of being bullish? What exactly do they then do? What is the, what is the allocation strategy? Well, we've been living at, at uh, record market highs for quite a while uh, over the course of the last 11 years coming out of the, uh, the financial crisis. Uh, so what we have to say here is for this particular crisis uh, uh, exit, we, we'd have to say be broadly diversified. You want to own uh, growthier value and garpier or growth uh, at uh, a reasonable price type of growth. Uh, you want to be diversified across large caps, mid caps and small caps, because in this type of an environment that is highly transitional on a day to day basis, the market tends to rotate and rebalance as it moves towards uh, an economic recovery that can be reflected very positively in the equity markets. Can you tell us, John, what exactly, what types of companies and what types of industries do you find the, the GARP trade that you're talking about, the growth at a reasonable price? Where, where do you look for those? Particularly, we find them in, uh, we would find those in consumer discretionary and in information technology the more established companies, uh, the companies that are, uh, are prone to uh, continue a move towards e-commerce, big data, uh, the cloud. Uh, and and we, we do believe you will also find opportunities within the more technology-oriented uh, areas of the industrials. Is there a favorite spot that you have right now that, that, that you would commit money to? Favorite spot would be uh, in, in technology at this point. Uh, we, we don't think we're going back to either the, the Abacus or the slide rule. Uh, we think that uh, the words from the larger uh, uh, chip producer uh, in the world is that uh, by the end of the fourth quarter, uh, a lot of the, the shortage, at least for the auto industry, should be ameliorated. So we, we remain very positive. All right. And just finally, just 10 seconds left here. Where would you stay away from? Uh, probably at this point would stay away from consumer staples. We don't think it's the play here. All right. The consumer staples, not the play. John Stolfus at Offenheimer. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. That does it here for Worldwide Exchange. Markets again mix at the opening bell. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.